Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Hello, Tomb Believers, and Happy New Year. You're listening to Tomb of Ideas, and I'm Trey Lawson, and, uh... uh 21. What you doing over there, James? 22, 23, 24, What, what are we counting, James? What's 26? up? Well, you know, it's the new year, uh, first Tomb of Ideas of 2021, and you know how everybody gets for New Year's resolutions? I'm, I'm decided I'm going to get in better shape, you know? So I've been... We don't have any weights around here, but I thought I'd just bench press these comics... That's that's really admirable, James. Yeah, uh, just thirty. You realize that, uh, that those, are, those are single issues, right? Well, you got to start somewhere. I mean, true. I, I would probably at least go with a giant size, but well, lady, freaking da. <laughs> I, I, I I'm sorry, Mister He Man Lawson over here. <laughs> By the way, I'm Pip Squeak Hickson, and this is my co-host He Man Lawson. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I, for what it's worth, I don't. I don't do resolutions. So good because I think if you got any more muscular, you you know, destroy all your shirts every time you flexed. <laughs> uh, so it is. It is a new year, but we're at the end of a month. A month. I, yeah, we, just we started are, a month. What's that? We just started a month. Did we just a start year? A month? Well, right. But we're we're ending the month of June, nineteen seventy four, aren't we? Good lord, I gotta do 2020 all over again? No, James. <laughs> <laughs> Please no. Let's not. Let, let's never do this. On on let's let's make sure we have instructions to all time travelers everywhere in any era. Do not visit 2020. <laughs> do not approach. Oh, thank God I thought I was gonna do the Reagan administration. <sighs> <sighs> but but yes, we are doing our last set of comics from June 1974, which is exciting. Uh, but before that, we should probably take a quick detour into the hottest segment in comics podcasting, and that is the increasingly anachronistically named Hellstrom Watch. Hellstrom Watch! <laughs> So, uh, first off, uh, we'll we'll begin with something that's not movie-related, but it is Marvel news and and might be of interest to our listeners, since you are listening to a podcast entirely devoted to Marvel horror comics, that you might be interested in new publications of Marvel horror comics. And so, with that in mind, Morbius is getting his own epic collection. Yeah, Um, which is... The successor to Marvel Masterworks, I guess? Sort of. Now, the Masterworks still exist, uh, although it seems like it's primarily used uh, as a, a digital thing now. Uh, like, like the Masterworks are... St- In fact, I just the other day picked up some volumes of Amazing Spider-Man that were Masterworks collections because they were marked down to, like, a dollar or two. Um, but, but, yeah, Epic Collection does a similar thing to Masterworks in that it puts a bunch of issues of uh, classic runs together. 
the the difference I think is that it's usually a little more thematic. Like uh, so, like it won't just be Black Panther Epic Collection Volume Two. Instead, it is uh, Black Panther Epic Collection Panther's Quest, and so they're they're like going by titles of arcs. So I think like okay. Demon in a Bottle is an epic collection. Okay. Uh, Armor Wars is an epic collection. Ooh. Like you know that sort of thing. Yeah. So so in this case, in, in fact, I, from what I'm reading, Morbius might actually be getting two epic collections, but only one has been officially solicited, and this one covers pretty much things that we have either already covered or things that we're going to cover in the very near future. Okay. So that's uh, Amazing Spider-Man 101-102, which is the the origin, first to know, to use the wizard parlance. Um, Marvel Team-Up 3 and 4, which I think is the Human Torch Spidey team-up where Human Torch is a jerk. Wow, yeah. I completely forgot. And there's like some weird racial politics shoehorned in. Yep, yep. But that was his second appearance, so they've got that in there. The uh, only got... time we've ever seen somebody Morbius ever seen Morbius bite someone and turn them. Yes, that is true. Which you know, now that we say that, we we talked about how in in the last Morbius appearance that we read in the giant size uh, superheroes, it was weird that Morbius was demonstrating like legit vampire powers. Yes, that seems to be a thing in Spider-Man appearances. Yes. That's interesting. Wait, was that Jerry Conway? Might have been. So, I mean, I he's the remember. creator, so... Right, right. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe. <laughs> Us and Steve Gerber. I, ooh. I don't like saying Steve Gerber's wrong. No. <laughs> it, feel, no. it feels dirty. Feels it feels wrong. Right. Uh, so, Marvel Team Up 3 and 4. Uh, also, uh, Adventure into Fear 20 through 26, which we're sort of in the midst of that right now. Yes. Um, the giant size superheroes that I just mentioned, which is the the Morbius Man Wolf team up, um, material from Vampire Tales one through eight, which we are in the midst of. Yep. Wow. Uh, Ooh, they're they're collecting Vampire Tales. Yep. And those are those are black and white. Everything else is full color, but the Vampire Tales is black and white. Okay. Uh, I mean... And and then also giant size Werewolf by Night number four. So I guess that's something for us to look forward to is. Giant Size Werewolf by Night number four is a Morbius appearance. Woohoo! So, so that's a lot of content, and that's something that, that these epic collections are good about doing. Is you usually get like you know several hundred pages of comics for like you know between twenty and thirty bucks. Okay, that's not terrible. How's the recoloring though? Because I never picked up any of these epic collections. That that's my yeah. Cause one of my big concerns about is recoloring. I because... I'm not sure. Do I have any epic collections? I don't think I do yet. Um. I, I've got some digital ones. Let me, let me see what they look like on the digital. Because uh, I think I've got, like, Epic Moon Knight digitally or something. Of course you do. Hey. Comic. Really? Huh. Uh, of course it's saying I'm not logged in. Um, sorry, it's making me log in. Uh, so I'm looking at these uh, Epic pages from... Uh, from this is... Uh, Epic Collection Moon Knight Volume 2, yeah. which, which is a little later than what we're reading. This is, like, from, say, 81. Um, but I'd say it looks a lot like modern printings of Tomb of Dracula. Like, basically, it's like... It it almost looks too pristine, if that makes sense. Yes. 
like the 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 page is a little too white and it's throwing off the shading of all the colors yes because i feel that sometimes when i read a modern uh reprint of tomb of dracula is it's like i don't know it's it's very hard to describe but it, it has something to do with the difference between comics production in the 60s and 70s and 80s versus comics production in the digital era well, I, I saw a whole Comics Trope episode about this on YouTube, and apparently mm-hmm. it does have to do with the quality of the paper and the way mm-hmm. the paper absorbs ink. Yes, yes. And like, because they're, they're using... Because part of how they justify the higher cost of a comic is they use higher quality paper. Yes. And it's glossier and it's thicker. Yes. But, like, colorists back in the day would compensate for the yellowing of the paper. Mm-hmm and things like that, which I wasn't aware of. And mm. it, it, it adds texture and depth to the panel, which isn't there on a stark white paper. Right, right. Which, good on them. Yes. but So, I, I imagine that these are probably either, if not recolors, then at least, like, digitally touched up, like, with, with super white backgrounds, you know? I was unaware, looking at it, I was unaware Star Wars... Um, Legacy got a epic collection. Yes, yeah, when, that was something that they did once. Uh, once they fully got the comic stuff back from Dark Horse, they they started reprinting the the classic comics. Which I can kind of appreciate that because that's a damn good series. Yes, yes. Of course, it's not surprising it's a damn good series considering who wrote, wrote it, whose name I'm blanking <laughs> on right now. The dude who created the Suicide Squad. Um, like the modern Suicide Squad, or? Yes. It's not Ostrander, is it? It's Ostrander! Okay. Yes, Star Wars Legacy is written by Ostrander, and it's damn good. <clears throat> That's the one with Luke's descendant, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a good one. It, it really is. Like, it's, 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 it's good stuff. I, I appreciate it. So, so anyway, Morbius getting an epic collection has a lot of material. Um, so if you've never had a chance to read the issues that we've been talking about um, or are interested in seeing the ones that are coming up, like that is a collection that gets you a bunch of his early appearances. Cool. Um, <clears throat> yep. Uh, also, there is so much MCU in 2021. And I know we, I know we like ran all of that down last time and spent a lot of time on it, but... I was looking at a headline from right after Christmas, and and they were saying that basically between now and the end of 2021, there will basically be new MCU content every week. That's insane. Because there are four films, there are five TV series, each with at least six episodes, plus uh, a show that's called Marvel Studios Legends which is going to air in between the debuts of the different series. Wow. That is at least 35 weeks of content, if not more. Good lord. That's so much Marvel. So much. And yet, I'm so excited. Well, I mean, we had none. <laughs> you know? We had none! We, we went for so long without. Uh, so that's, that is a thing to look forward to. Speaking of, uh, there's a little bit more information about the She-Hulk series that's in development. Um... As previously suggested, it's being described as a half-hour legal comedy, and now uh, they're saying that they expect it to get a run of at least eight, eight to ten episodes. Okay. 
which that that's a good that's a good season arc for for a streaming series. Yes, uh, it's a little shorter than the Netflix Marvel shows, but also most of the Netflix Marvel shows could have been three or four episodes shorter than they were. Yes, like like any given Netflix Marvel show had at least two or three episodes of filler. Makes sense. Um, also, uh, She-Hulk. Uh, there's a quote from Kevin Feige talking about sort of the premise and, and the tone. He says, quote, It's a series about a woman trying to navigate the world and be taken seriously as a working professional, despite the fact that she's well over six foot seven and green. Since Jennifer Walters is a lawyer who specializes specifically in superhero-oriented legal cases, you never know what Marvel characters are going to pop up from episode to episode. And see, this is where I feel like this verifies my theory. Hmm. Jennifer Walters is going to be part of the prosecution team in whatever is happening in Spider-Man 3. Okay. She gets injured in some way. She has to get a blood transfusion from her cousin. She becomes She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. And she loses her job with the district attorney's office because they can't have a six-foot-tall Rage green monster? Amazon working for them, basically. <laughs> right. <clears throat> I, I could see that. I, I could definitely see that. I mean, how great would it be if Jennifer Walters is on the prosecution and Matt Murdock is the defense? Yes, that is exactly what I expect to happen. <clears throat> uh, like, I actually had a thought about uh, Spider-Man Three the other day because um, you know I've been sort one? of working on the what's that? Just one. <laughs> um, well, I you know for a while I've been working on the assumption that the way they're going to get out of the the secret identity corner that they've written themselves into is they'll they'll pull the the one more day or whatever and, and Doctor Strange will magic it all away. That was sort of what I assumed. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spidey will do this and Doctor Strange will say no no it's like this. Yeah. You can't <laughs> see it guys we're making the hand gestures. Right, because Doctor Strange's hand gesture is Spider Man's upside down. And not the usual hand gestures we make at each other. <laughs> um, but I, re- I realize there's actually another possibility for getting out of the uh, the identity problem without using magic. Dimension hopping Spider-Mans. So, yeah, they've got Peter Parker in custody, and then Tobey Maguire goes swinging by. Yeah. And Matt Murdock is like, well, clearly he's not Spider-Man. Yes. <laughs> well, you know what's going to happen with, um, with, 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 with Matt Murdock? What's that? Um, Peter's going to show up to like a, a, a meeting or something or a court hearing and he's going to be like, hey, where's my lawyer? He's going to be here. He said he'd be here. And just <laughs> Charlie Cox walks in and the theater goes wild. Right, right. Which I'm okay with. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, that, that was that was my thought was that uh, you could use the dimension hopping Spider-Man to also fix Peter's identity problem. Yes. Oh, because yeah. Because even if the costume isn't right... Spider-Man has changed his costume in every single appearance. Yes. He's a guy with spider webs twi- tripping, tripping around the place. Right. I mean, who are you going to believe? Your own eyes or J. Jonah Jameson? But also, like, we, we went from, like, sort of the classic-looking one to the Iron Spider to the redesign with black instead of blue. Like, like we've done all of these different variations from movie to movie, so who's to say that he wouldn't then have, like, one with a larger spider and raised webs, you know? Yeah. 
So, let's see. That was the She-Hulk thing. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if we talked about this last time, but Jamie Alexander is returning as Lady Sif in <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah, because she had that show, which was stopping her from doing that. Right, right. Blind spot. Which which saved her from being killed off with the Warriors 3. Yeah. Because the Warriors 3 got killed off. And yeah. she, you, you know she would have been in that scene if she had been available. So that's good for her that she yes. wasn't. Um, now there are also some suggestions she might make an appearance in Loki on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, uh, Lady Sif famously is one of a handful of characters who actually crossed over from the MCU proper into what I, I consider the splinter timeline of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Ugh. They tried so hard and failed. It, for what it's worth... They did everything they could to keep everything in continuity. It was Marvel Studios that did not want them in continuity. No. Kevin Feige said no. Even even though Nick Fury was in the first season. Yeah. It's a divergent timeline. We 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 that visited a few of those in Endgame, so Exactly. Exactly. Um also, speaking of characters showing up on uh uh Disney Plus shows. Have we talked about the fact that Batroc the Leaper is in Falcon and Winter Soldier? Because Georges St. Pierre is reprising his role of Batroc the Leaper. We. Oui. And that's awesome. We. Oui. <laughs> Sorry, I am a I'm a Batroc fan. Oh, Batroc is très magnifique. <laughs> uh, I, I and I especially love how early Batroc appearances, like he and Cap, basically beat each other up until they realize there's someone else that they could both beat up. We. Oui. <laughs> so yes, so Batroc the Leaper in Falcon and Winter Soldier, which is exciting to me. Uh, Omelette fromage. <laughs> you're just saying random French things now. <laughs> Three years. Three years of French. <laughs> my um, French was so bad, I actually held up my graduation. <laughs> finally, on New Year's Day, the official Twitter account for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, tweeted out a tease for the sequel with images from the 2099 post credit scene and the caption, one year closer to 2022. Yeah, but it's rude to point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we're Oscar Isaac as as uh, Miguel O'Hara, I, I want it, so... I want it so bad. Like, so just bad. give it to me now. Wait, what do you want more? Mm. Oscar Isaac as Miguel O'Hara or Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight? Mm. That's not fair. It's not fair <laughs> at all. But why, you must choose. Why can't I have a Miguel O'Hara Moon Knight team up where he plays both parts? Moon Knight 2099? Yes. Actually exists. Of course it fucking does. Um, it, it's a different 2099 though. It was. I don't know if you remember this. When when Marvel Knights was an imprint, mm-hmm. uh, they they did Marvel Knights 2099, which was an, a different version of 2099. And in that, there was very briefly a, a futuristic Moon Knight. I think she lived on the moon. Beautiful. I love. Yes. Oh, I like that. Okay, though. But let let's ask our listeners a question. Should we just quit this whole Tomb of Ideas thing and do a 2099 podcast? Because <laughs> sure, it's been done, but it hasn't been done by us. <laughs> Coming soon, shock and awesome, a 2099 Marvel podcast. <laughs>
pick our pick up our numbering from from where we left off. With two more ideas. <laughs> Be like when uh, was it uh, Tales of Suspense becomes Iron Man or whatever. <laughs> Liam will re- even have to redo the page. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Uh, if I had to pick, I I would. Mm. <laughs> I would probably pick into the Spider-Verse because I want more of that. Like, like that that is one of the best superhero movies ever. And, yes. And I want more of that. And you don't yeah. know how hard it is for me to say that I want something more than Moon Knight. It's okay. I got... Just to, just to show you I'm not such a bad guy, I've got an easier decision for you. Which of your children have to die? <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, not a decision I have to make. Hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Anyway, <laughs> we have three comics to discuss today. It's been a little while since we've done three, I think. Yeah, it's been a really long time. We've had so many giant sizes and magazines and stuff. But uh, but this time, we are closing out June of 74 with uh, Man-Thing number six, Strange Tales 174, and I think we're going to start with Ghost Rider number six. So we'll be right back with that book after these messages. All right, Josh, we got to do this ad. We got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. <sighs> All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks, we're elitists, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth. The last man on earth lives in a fortress. Discovered chat. How does that grab you, Caesar? The last man on earth always carries an automatic weapon. The last man on Earth is hunting. Because the last man on Earth is not alone. Charlton Heston, Rosalind Cash. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our first comic for today is Ghost Rider number 6, Zodiac 2. Cover date is June 1974. The writers are Tony Isabella and Gary Friedrich. The artist is Jim Mooney. The inker is Sal Trapani. The letterer, Artie Simek. The colorist, Phil Rachelson. And the editor, Roy Thomas. On a dark night in San Francisco... Someone appearing to be Leo of the Zodiac Gang makes a daring raid on an armored car. But, as the helpful caption on the splash page reminds us, the Zodiac were sent to prison in Avengers number 123 just two months ago. Thanks to some helpfully convenient exposition from the drivers, we learn that the armored car was hired by Cornelius Van Lunt, aka Taurus of the Zodiac, and he sent this from behind bars. Uh, to get $100,000 east to help his legal defense fund. Just then, Leo strikes, peeling open the roof of the armored car with his claws. 
the armored car pulls over, and its two occupants go to investigate the noise. Leo attacks, insisting that the money cannot reach Van Lunt, who deserves to be in prison. He crushes the guard's pistol and escapes in a helicopter. Meanwhile, 400 miles away in Las Vegas, Johnny Blaze rides his motorcycle and reflects on the events of the previous issue and his defeat of the demon roulette. Blaze goes to visit the Attorney General, because Roxanne's undercover work has apparently convinced the, the, the AG to drop all charges against Johnny. However, when Johnny arrives, he finds out that there are strings attached, with the AG wanting to send Johnny on some sort of assignment. Before Johnny can really react, the AG's son Dave attacks Johnny for no reason. Johnny rejects the AG's deal and tries to leave, but Dave escalates inappropriately yet again, pulling a gun on Blaze and demanding to know how he got superpowers. Johnny flashes back to his origin, while musing that he can't possibly tell them the truth. It turns out that AG wants to send Johnny after the Zodiac, who, despite appearing to be in jail, have apparently been responsible for four different crimes in the past day. In each instance, the target was in some way connected to Cornelius Van Lunt, the incarcerated leader of the Zodiac. As we saw at the beginning of the issue, Leo attacked Van Lunt's legal fund, but also Libra and Gemini stole legal documents from the, de from the defense lawyers on the case, and Sagittarius tried to assassinate one of Van Lunt's attorneys. And all the while, the Zodiac gang are accounted for in prison. Johnny rejects their deal and returns to the fairgrounds with Rocky. As night falls, he transforms once again into the Ghost Rider. As he tries out his new motorcycle, Dave shoots the cycle, causing it to explode. Dave tries to arrest Blaze by threatening the life of Rocky. In the midst of this standoff, the AG shows up, revealing that Dave has been unstable ever since he was an FBI agent who was captured and tortured by the Zodiac, allowing them to briefly take over New York City in Avengers number 82. During this flashback, however, Dave is able to slip away with Rocky, only to reappear at the top of the fairground stands. While the AG searches for Rocky, the Ghost Rider conjures a Hellfire motorcycle and goes after Dave. They fight, and Blaze nearly kills Dave, until Roxanne is found to be safe. Moved by Dave's mental breakdown and desperation, Blaze leaves to take on the Zodiac gang after all. Back in San Francisco, Taurus, who is definitely not Cornelius Van Lunt, attacks a bank where Van Lunt has a safety deposit box. He retrieves some incrim incriminating documents, only to be confronted, finally, by the Ghost Rider. So, uh, this comic is all set up. And were the Zodiac a big deal in 70s Marvel superhero books? Because from this issue, you'd think they were on the level of, like, Hydra or something. One of the Zodiac was Mantis's father. I knew that. And she was the Celestial Madonna. You, you know how I know that? Because it's in the Wikipedia page for the Zodiac, unlike this issue. Well... Something else occurs to me. Um, these Zodiac members look a bit wrong. Well, and I think that's deliberate. Like, I mean, they're t they keep telling us over and over again, this can't be the real Zodiac. Yeah, but like, the Leo that we see here looks a lot cooler than the Leo in Zodiac. Hmm. Because this Leo looks like a cat man with robot hands. Right. And the Leo in Zodiac looks like a dude wearing a lion head. Th this is true. This is true. So, Actually, all of the all of the the zodiac that we see have have sort of high tech upgrades. Yes, 
because uh, that's actually something I noted at the end is when Taurus shows up. Um, like it's kind of surprising it took this long to get a Ghost Rider villain with a fancy like motorcycle with James Bond gadgets. Yeah, because that seems like really obvious for a Ghost Rider villain. We had the orb. We did have the orb, and the orb is the best Ghost Rider villain. <laughs> this is true. Uh, but, but yeah, Taurus uh, has has the cool like motorcycle with uh, a, a bull's horns for handlebars. Yeah, just. But yeah, it, it, it's so weird to me how much this book depends on knowledge of a bunch of events and characters that have never appeared in a Ghost Rider book before. No. Like, and, like, this book assumes that you are a regular reader of Avengers. Which, to be fair, a lot of people were at the time. I suppose. Avengers is a high-profile book at this time. I true. Mean, and that, that, that's true. It, it, 70s was one of their upswings. And then it dipped back down again for a while. Yeah. Like, I, I, once Claremont went to X-Men, X-Men became the team book. Yes. But, but Although, until then, Avengers, probably, Avengers and Fantastic Four, I guess, were it. Yeah, Avengers was the second team book. Fantastic right. Four was still the team book, and I would actually argue that it was Avenger. Sorry, Fantastic Four, Avengers, Defenders. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like and n- honestly, with with no offense to Stan or Jack or Roy, nobody really cared that much about the X Men until Claremont. Which is a shame because when it's Roy and Neil Adams doing it, it's actually really good. There are some there are some good moments, yeah. Like he actually tries to do some different stuff with the team than what Stan and Jack did. Yeah, um, I, I will correct myself. I guess there's that sort of brief window where it's uh, was it uh, Lynn Ween and, and Dave Cockrum? Yes. On X Men, like right before Claremont. Yes. That that's not bad either. No, and that's and really that's the start of it. It is because that, that the, that's the beginning of the the all new all different or whatever. The all new all different X Men, and that's bringing in Wolverine and bringing in and then it's like well Lin Wein doesn't have time to do this because I think that's around the time Lin Wein is made editor-in-chief probably and so it gets pushed off to Chris Claremont so then it's yep. Chris Claremont and Cockrum mm-hmm. and then this guy John Byrne comes in because okay John Byrne comes in after because he had worked with Claremont on Iron Fist right and I guess Cockrum has the ballot Cockrum has the ballot for some reason, and Claremont recommends Byrne. Well, because all those guys were doing way too many things at once at this point. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, right now it's still Roy doing too much. but Right, right. Yeah, basically from like 67, 68 until now, until until that X-Men run. Like, it, it, Roy is like, ha- Roy has his hands on almost every book. Yes. Um, but... But yeah, so that it it's weird to me that like I I don't think I've ever read a single issue featuring the Zodiac. Like I really don't. I know I have because I did it read through. I, I read their Wikipedia page, which goes fairly in depth with like specific issues, and this issue never came up. Oh no, because they're imposters. They right, but even in in terms of like like there is a flashback to like when the Zodiac took over New York. Yeah. This um, is them saying, look, we're parts of the Marvel Universe, mm-hmm. which, again, it's barely a story. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's a whole lot of nothing. It's a whole lot of setup. 
like our main villain here isn't really Zodiac. It's the district attorney's son. Right. And who, honestly, the minute he pulled a gun in the attorney general's office, like, should have been a red flag. (laughs) Yes. You put him into therapy then. Like, you know, son, maybe it's time to go away to a nice spa in Arizona. And then, and then at the end of the episode, I just, I, I couldn't help but, it's not really funny, but I couldn't help but laugh when Dave is like, you're under arrest. Surrender or I'm going to kill her. That's not how arrest works. It's it's not. Like, it, it's such a weird move. <laughs> and then there, nothing comes out of it. Roxanne shows up and says, look, I'm fine. Yep. Yep. Which means the attorney general was no help at all. None whatsoever. Um, I, I have to say, uh, speaking of just sort of general feelings about this book and this character, I am kind of here for the letter writer on the letters page who insists that Ghost Rider is a menace and that the Avengers or Spider-Man should send him to jail. I mean, so far he has been. Mm-hmm. How many traffic accidents has he caused? Yeah. Like, yep. major traffic ac- accidents. Yeah. And, and yeah, like, and the letter is really just sort of a rundown of, like... Uh, he almost killed two policemen in Spotlight Number Ten. He steals a truck in uh, Ghost Rider One. He becomes a murderer in Number Three, intentionally killing Dawson. Um, he commits three crimes in a single issue in Number Four. Like, like the the letter writer literally just runs down all of all of these things. So, yeah. And now he's an Avenger. Yeah. You know what the you know what the thing that makes me angriest about this book is? It starts by reminding me. That at this point in time, Daredevil and Black Widow are hanging out in San Francisco, and then proceeds to not include them at all in the story. Exactly. They were out of town. Right. Is what they say. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, being the only superheroes in San Francisco, they would, you know, come back into town for... A massive crime wave? A massive crime wave perpetrated by who a group we are apparently considering major supervillains right and who are supposed to be in prison <laughs> yes so like yeah I, this could only be redeemed for me if Ghost Rider shows up in San Francisco and has to fight Daredevil too. <laughs> which sign of the Zodiac are you <laughs> right yeah it so we've we talked a lot about the the plot on this one the art's actually okay for the most part the most part for them, I, and, and I'm putting a big asterisk there, and I'll, yep. I think I, I think you know where I'm going with this. Um, specifically, page 16. <laughs> yeah, actually, I no. am turning to it right now. Page 11. Page 11 has it too. Basically, any time the Ghost Rider transforms. Yes. There, there's, and and it's, mm, like Mooney is trying to do his best plug, and his best plug is not good enough. No. Uh, every transformation that he does with like the sort of montage style of, of different faces, the middle one always looks really goofy. Really goofy. He looks like the chameleon's deranged cousin. Who is that rock group who paints their faces like skulls? Uh, they look like that. Mm. Hold on, I can find them. It looks like somebody doing a skull face paint. It's just it does. It, well, it, not. It looks like uh, the skeleton crew from MST3K, the the revival. Like, oh, in that case, I love it. <laughs> it's fantastic. I w- wouldn't change a thing. All, all they need is like the the bonehead helmet. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Just imagine that on a 
on a motorcycle tearing down the highway. <laughs> uh, also, since, since we're on uh, page 11, uh, there's also just an unnecessary amount of flashback in this issue. There's a lot of flashback. There's, like, multiple pages of things that we've already read. <laughs> yes. Because they're padding this out because there's already not enough story. The flashbacks are so bad in this issue that there are flashbacks to things that have happened between the scenes in this issue that they don't yes. show us the first time around. Yes. If you look on 15, uh, they talk about Leo robbed an armed car carrying monies for Van Lunt's legal fees. Libra and Gemini stole important papers on the case from Van Lunt's lawyers on two different occasions. And Sagittarius actually tried to kill one of Van Lunt's attorneys. Yep. In fact, I mentioned those in the, the summary, but, like, all that is there for them is a caption box and, like, a very tiny panel within the panel. Yes. And there is opportunity even, here. Like, like they are so low, like, the, the panel is so small, like, there's no detail work. Like, you can't actually see what what those two characters look like. So we can't even really compare them to, like, the legit versions of the Zodiac. Yes. It's, mm. And also, aren't we missing one? Isn't like Ares supposed to be one of them? I don't know. Zodiac is all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I'm I thinking about. I'm thinking of the list of characters that were in the Avengers issues, and I'm th I'm thinking that there was an Ares. Like, ah, oh, my girls talk about you know, oh, there's such and such sign with such and such in the moon, and they're like, do you want to know yours? Says no. I I I I, I really don't. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, oh, there's another of those bad transformations. Um, thankfully, the actual, like, Ghost Rider, like, fully transformed Ghost Rider, they've basically nailed him down. Like, they've got his look down at this point. And actually, I would give credit. Um, Johnny Blaze no longer looks like Jack Russell. Yes, he has a distinctive face. Yes, and haircut. Yep. So it's not the same person as Jack Russell anymore, which is good. So... There's actually one of the good things I'll actually say about this Ghost Rider issue is there's a weird reference to the movie Omega Man. Yeah, yeah. This is when they're back at the fairgrounds and Johnny conjures his, his Hellfire bike and, and sort of rides it up the stands. Yes. But I f it, isn't he spoiling the ending of Omega Man here? A little bit, yeah. Like, there's a thing about Coke bottles, which, I, if I remember correctly, isn't that how, like, Charlton Hess's character dies? Uh, that like, is... It's been it's been so long since I read this, or watched that movie. Um, it's been so long. Like, but, like, Omega Man was not, like, a faraway film for 1974. It was released in 1971. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I know he dies. And, and yeah, sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry we're spoiling a movie from 1971 that was the second of three film adaptations of a novel, but uh, but he dies. Uh, and I'm, I'm wanting to say he's like he gives them the, the cure as he's dying. Although I will say, if you're being given, given an option of whether to watch Last Man on Earth, Omega Man, or I Am Legend, watch Last Man on Earth. Of the three, it's probably the best. I like Omega Man. But it's it's the least like the book of any of them. Yeah, um, Last Man on Earth stars Charlton Heston. Sorry, sorry. I mean, star, stars Vincent Price. Yep. So, I mean, 
that's leaps and bounds above Charlton Heston and Will Smith, in my opinion. Fair. Uh, Will Smith is actually the best part of that movie. Okay. Um, the the worst part of the movie is that they threw out all the practical effects and redid all the creatures of CGI. I thought the worst part of the movie was the dog dying. Fair. That's fair. That's I mean, well, that that's a given. Like, anytime yeah. the dog dies, anytime that's the, the worst dog part dies, of the movie. Like, you know, I like unless you're watching like Cujo or something. Yeah. But I would like to point out on Tomb of Ideas, the dog will never die. Yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, Last Man on Earth is also the only one that uh, that really sort of leans into them being vampires. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the others, they're all sort of more generic, like ghouls. Generic ghouls, yeah. But... Um, one thing I'll say, like they, they try very hard to maintain the suspense of who is it that fired the gun that took out his motorcycle in the second half of the issue. Like, it's actually a very cool series of panels where you have the close-up of Blaze on the motorcycle. You've got a first-person perspective of the gun aiming at the bike, and then, like, a side view of the gun firing, uh, all without seeing the face of the shooter. And then it's on the next page that you see that it, it's, uh, you know, Sunny Boy. Um, the only problem with that is up to this point in the issue... Only one guy has threatened Ghost Rider with a gun. Yes. And, and, and so it's kind of obvious who it is. It's exactly who you expect it to be. Right, right. There is no actual swerve. No. Just... Uh, the, in fact, the swerve is Ghost Rider in the matter of, like, a page going from, like, ready to kill this guy to suddenly I am going to avenge him. Yes. Because he snaps. He yes, completely and utterly snaps. Yes, like he, he is just sort of mumble, mumbling gibberish by the end of that that discussion. And you can make the argument it's because Roxanne is safe. True, true. Like, because Roxanne is no longer in trouble, he's able to step back and just realize how pathetic this guy is. Mm-hmm. And how broken he is. Because right. he's no longer consumed with worry for the lady he loves. Right, right. And I can actually get behind that. They just do a shit job communicating it. <laughs> Yeah, it just, it, it feels very abrupt. Yes. Like, I guess we, what we needed is the only thought balloon we get for Johnny is he snapped completely. Like, and then he immediately says, sure, I'll help you get Zodiac. Like, we needed more than that. We needed a little more inner monologue. I feel like we needed another page in here. Well, I mean, almost like you could take out the page of flashback and put in more actual story. Yeah. Actually, yes. Like, all the the exposition about like we didn't need the stuff about Crash Simpson and and no. Johnny Blaze fighting in hell no or or even like the one panel cameo of Damien Hellstrom no we, we got a, we had to go back to Witch Woman for a panel like literally every issue of Ghost Rider up to this point got a panel in this flashback and I'm just like are they really banking on Zodiac bringing in the readers <laughs> well so here's the thing Funny you say that. <laughs> Funny you say that. Because the next issue box for this, The Sinister Secret of the Second Zodiac, also hypes a surprise guest star. Now, can you guess what awesome, exciting surprise guest star they might have planned for a Ghost Rider issue? It's Daredevil! No, no. Like what else? You, you're thinking way too big. Like... <laughs> <gasps> Fred Van Lunt! No, I don't think. Maybe, but that's uh, not who the, the special guest star is. Uh, 
I mean, like, we're gonna cover it at some point. Should we spoil it? If we can, I don't think I don't think it is either like exciting or or particularly like spoilerish. Because <laughs> the the surprise guest star is on the cover of the next issue. Oh Jesus! Okay, hold on, hold on. Let me let me pull it out like, of the box. Like you need to really lower your expectations from Daredevil. Like. <laughs> okay. Um. Original run. Sure. <laughs> That'll sell some books, right? Um, for those of you playing along no, at home, no, we're not telling them. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. Don't so tell them. They'll never come back. Ahead. Let, let's let's pretend like the uh, the July issue of Ghost Rider didn't happen. Is it July? I, don't, I can't remember the. August schedule. August, because it's every other month. So it'll be a while before we get to that one, but isn't that lovely, though? So, so yeah, I well, you know what, Let's, I'll just go ahead and say this. If we're already, like, talking about the next issue, yes. we should probably move on. Yep. <laughs> always a good, always a good, always a good call. But, but, I'm just, we'll leave you with this, that with the next issue, there is a surprise guest star. Yes. I was super surprised. <laughs> Weren't you? <laughs> so, so very surprised. <laughs> so let's take a break, and we will be back in just a minute with the debut of the Golem in Strange Tales 174. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Donald. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products. Everyone is afraid of it. Look at the ache in his face. That's what killed the old man. Bombs can't kill it. Fire can't burn it. Water can't drown it. Only one man can control it, and he is bad. I'm your master. Lower your arms. I am your master. Go! 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 is it see it 
Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a moral horror podcast. Our next issue, this episode is Strange Tales number 174, There Walks the Golem. Cover date on this one is June 1974. Writer is Lynn Ween. Artist is John Basima. Inker is Jim Mooney. Letterer is Dave Hunt. Colorist is Glennis Ween. And editor is Roy Thomas. In an unidentified desert country, Dr. Effendi Adamson, his nephew Jason, his niece Rebecca, and her boyfriend Wayne Logan searched the sand for the remains of the Golem of Prague, quickly finding the, the massive clay figure buried among the sands. The next day, they are approached by a band of soldiers from a nearby conflict who assure them they are there who assured them that their visit is a friendly resupply mission. Yet things start to go south when one of the soldiers tries to get a little too friendly with Rebecca before being scolded by the group's commander. In the night, however, the the archaeologists come upon the soldiers raiding the supply tent. There they learn that they are not soldiers on a resupply mission, but deserters, as the soldiers gun down Dr. Adamson and take the young people hostage. Dying. Adamson crawls to the statue of the golem. As a dying tear rolls down the archaeologist's cheek, landing on the golem, the eyes of the statue come alight. Later, in the desert, the stone and clay being savagely kills the soldiers. In the last panel, Rebecca recalls in horror as she recognizes something tragically familiar in the golem's eyes. And guys, I know this was a really sparse summary, but this is a sparse issue. <laughs> that's li- that, that's it. Like you described yes. everything that happened, uh, and so there is a little bit of uh, a, a sort of um, like a, a tiny bit of exposition about what the golem of Prague like, is. The the what the golem is, but it's like a few panels, yes. you know. And, um, and and so golem of Prague has a fairly lengthy tradition, both in Jewish mysticism and and, and history. But also in, like, arts and literature. We imagine most of you know the story of the golem. Right, right. Um, if you haven't watched it, I, I do recommend, uh, if you're into silent movies, uh, The Golem, How He Came Into the World, uh, the German expressionist movie from the 20s. Um, it was a big influence on the Universal Frankenstein. Um, and cinematography was by Carl Freund, who, did, who also did the cinematography for the Bela Lugosi Dracula, and I think directed The Mummy. Correct me if I'm wrong, with the the Gollum movie series, it's actually one part of a trilogy, isn't it? It's a trilogy. The first one is mostly lost. The second one is not narratively connected. It's more of a comedy um, and is completely lost. And the the third one we basically have all of. Interesting. But the third one is a prequel to the first one. Which is why the subtitle is How He Came Into the World. Okay. I'm assuming it's a bit snappier in um, German, the title. Uh, uh, Der Golem, Wer in die Welt kam. Oh, yeah. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> I always feel like I'm reading Klingon when I look at German titles. As John Oliver says, such a beautiful language. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So, so this interpretation of the Golem creature and, and, and story, that's all right. I actually really enjoyed the story. Really? I really did. Like, it's sparse, but the atmosphere is good. The art is good. I, I did like the art. It's, you know, especially after reading that Ghost Rider comic. 
<laughs> like, fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. Uh, it's weirdly topical in that... I mean, I, I think we can assume that this is taking place somewhere in the Middle East. Yes. Right? Um, just in 1973, there was an Arab-Israeli war. Yes. Um, in October of 73. Yep. Um, and it took place in Sinai uh, in, like, various territories occupied by Israel. Um, primarily, it was it was Israel and Egypt, but other, other Arab countries got involved, too. And, of course... The U.S. was arming Israel, and the Soviets were arming various Arab nations. And the, of course, the Golem is a Jewish legend. Um, right. The Adamsons, though American, are identified as being Jewish. Right. And it would not be a far leap to imagine that the story is taking place in Israel. Sure. Or at least in, in contested territory. Yes. Now, how the golem got from Prague to there, and why... We don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... Uh, but one, one thing that I always kind of liked about the the uh, golem, in particular the golem of Prague, there's a bunch of different golem stories, but we're this one is pretty much based on the golem of Prague, um, and most people know it from either the movie or the book the movie was based on. And in that one... Like the the golem's sort of motivation, its its sort of personality is is sort of derived from its connection to the Jewish community that creates it, mm-hmm. and, and so you get a little bit of that here with like with the the dying tear that awakens him and that sort of thing. Yeah, and um, of course, when I think about the golem of Prague, the first thing that comes to my mind is the um, the novel, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Mm-hmm. Which the Golem of Prague plays a significant role in, right? But I mean, as we can see, there's not a lot to the story. It's very well done, yeah. But I yeah. can see why this didn't become a regular. It failed as a regular series. It, it it also just feels like a combination of a bunch of other Marvel comics that already exist. Yes, because I I can sort of tick off on one hand as I'm reading. You know, okay, this part's a little bit Man-Thing, and this part's a little bit Simon Garth, and this part's a little bit Incredible Hulk. And as far as visual goes, he's quite similar to Ben Grimm the Thing. Yes, yes. In fact... I mean, even even the cover blurb, is he man or monster? Yes. That's the exact same cover blurb from Hulk number one. Yes, and it's not a coincidence that, you know, way down the road for us, but... Very shortly in his character's history, his last appearance is going to be in an issue of Marvel 2 and 1. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Um, it's also weird that, uh, I guess because they're this is the last issue where they're answering letters about the Brother Voodoo issues, but the, the letters page is still Voodoo Mail. Is it good Voodoo Mail? I didn't read it. No. Well, it's, it, it looks like it's all one letter, um, just sort of basically saying Brother Voodoo is fine but I wish it was this totally different character I've come up with. And they published that? Pretty much. Like, basically, uh, they, like, the way Voodoo should be treated should be different. That, uh, uh, the, he, 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 like, describes a totally different costume that the character should have. Um, yeah. To me, it's odd that they published it because normally, even at this point, Marvel is very hands-off of, like, 
not even going near unsolicited ideas. Yup. Which tells me they didn't have a lot of feedback to publish for this issue. Yeah, like it's that's the one letter and and the response, and that's the whole letters column. So okay, so maybe other people didn't enjoy Brother Voodoo as much as we did. I guess. Um, but yeah, no, it's this is a fun read. Uh, like you say, the art carries it a long way. Um, because otherwise, I, I think without that that very good art, the story would be a little too familiar for me. You know, like it's not. It is a very good telling of this story that's not bringing a whole lot new, you know? And honestly, it could just be... It could just function as a done-in-one little O. Henry tale. Because mm-hmm. the the implication at the end is that the mind of the man, or at least the spirit of the old man, the Dr. Adamson, is now trapped within the golem. In some way, yeah. Yeah. Which, again, to me, is very reminiscent of either Simon Garth or Man-Thing. Yes. So, long-time listeners of the show will actually remember, this is not the first time we've talked about this character on Tomb of Ideas. No. Uh, we we read... We, we actually sort of backtracked a little bit to 1970 um, in order to cover what is usually listed as the first appearance of the Golem, uh, this version of the Golem, and that was an Incredible Hulk issue. It was volume one, number 134. Right, which is the Hulk fighting a kind of like a dictator-type dude, um, but the people of the village think he's the Golem. Right, right. Because apparently they have the legend of the Golem there, and the well, Hulk and, and reminds have, them and enough. And a lot of the characters have like Jewish names, like Rachel. Yeah, yeah. And, of course we get a flashback to the story of the golem and the logic there being because that is the golem we see who who now has appeared in the modern day in strange tales right. that is the actually flashback his, is the same the flashback is the first appearance yeah which i don't have a huge problem with I, as i remember we really liked that issue of the hulk yeah we were disappointed that like the golem creature basically only appears in that flashback it, it's not like Hulk versus Golem, or Hulk teaming up with Golem, or anything like that. Which is what the cover promised us. Yes, it is. Well, what it promises is Hulk in the shadow of the Golem. And so, the Hulk appears to this village in the shadow of the Golem legend, which informs their understanding of what he is. Yes. It's a stretch, but I see what they were doing. But yes. the cover, the cover imagery is very much the Hulk literally ha- with a, a, a shadow creeping up behind him. And I was like, yeah, Hulk's going to fight a golem. <laughs> and of no, course, as didn't. I said, this this issue of Strange Tales calls back to Incredible Hulk number one with the is he man or monster blurb. So yeah. I wonder how deliberate that was. Probably pretty deliberate. I mean, Roy Thomas, come on in. Uh, yes. He, that man loves his callbacks. Yeah. But, you know, you could easily see that as a Twilight Zone O. Henry ending like, mm-hmm. here's how you would do it in, like, an episode of Twilight Zone, where um, he, you would have the scenes of him beating, of him brutally murdering the soldiers, and then, but you wouldn't see his face during any of this. And then, at the end, you would, like, the camera would move around to the face of the golem, and it would be the face of the old man. Mm-hmm. Yep. In stone. Yep. Like, that's how you would do it. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, I mean, 
in, in terms of done in one, I mean, it's not quite that, but we're on what? Issue 174? There aren't that many issues of Strange Tales left. No. Like, we, we've... It goes up to, what, 188, maybe? Yeah. And and those aren't all Golem stories. Like, Golem doesn't last all the way to the end. No. No. Which is weird when you're considering that, you know, our friends that make ours Marvel are still covering this book with Doctor Strange and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Or Sergeant Fury... Sorry, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. So, you know, they're well, they're kind of at the prime of well, the book. Well, this book, this book ends with Doctor Strange. Does it? The last run of Strange Tales, they go back to Doctor Strange. Is that where one we're gonna have to start covering Doctor Strange in our, in our show? Uh, possibly. Um, I don't know if there's any crossovers, but it's possible. Um, for a while they they jump around a bit, but uh, let's see, that's a Thor crossover. Yeah, I don't know. It's possible. Because at some point on the show, we're gonna have to start talking about talking about Doctor Strange. Yeah, but I just like it's gonna be until the '80s. Just like at some point, we'll probably have to at least do some some single Defenders issues. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, I think once we start getting into logistical... Uh, <laughs> where Where is this book going? Uh, conversations like that. It is time to move on to our next book. So we're going to take a quick break with some lovely messages that I'm sure are going to just be wonderful. And we'll be right back with our coverage of Man-Thing number six. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey. hey. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's interesting. It's just we kind of hyped up the golem, but there just wasn't a lot to say about it. Besides, it's good. What seems to be the problem? seeing things. Things that can't be real. It's time to let go. Mommy? Does that look like someone who's about to come knocking on your door? But I know he's here. Sometimes bad memories have a way of following you around. Alex Grant is walking a thin line. Do you ever think a person knows that they're going crazy? Between memory. I think I need some help here. Get away, Alex! And nightmare. Sometimes you have to face your demons in order to see the angels. We're still creeping around the house. Why wouldn't he have gotten you sooner? Because that wouldn't be any fun. Won't you join the dance? Wes Craven presents 
showtime. Carnival of Souls. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our third and final issue for this episode is Man-Thing number six, and When I Die. Cover date is June 74. The writer is Steve Gerber, artist Mike Plug, inker Frank, Chim- Frank Chiramonte, letterer is John Costanza, colorist is Petra Goldberg, and the editor is Roy Thomas. Continuing from last issue, Richard Rory, Ruth Hart, and Man-Thing, along with Ayla and Trag from the circus, are haunted by the spirit of Daryl Daniel, a clown who killed himself in the swamp. The clown ghost forces them all to be players in a play depicting his life story for the benefit of the critics, who will use this performance to determine the fate of the clown's soul. Man-Thing will be Daryl's inner demon, Trag, the childhood bully, Ayla, his childhood sweetheart, Ruth, his mother, and Richard Rory will play Daryl in his youth. In an instant, they are all transformed into their character. Just then, the ghost notices Garvey, the owner of the carnival, and recruits him to play his father. The first act of the play is 1944, when Daryl was a young child and his father a wealthy financier. With every interaction and disagreement, Daryl's barely controlled rage lurks just beneath the surface, physically embodied by the man-thing literally manipulating Daryl's actions. The curtain falls on Act 1, But the critics demand more, and so the ghost clown moves on to Act 2, set at the funeral of Daryl's father. To the horror of his mother, Daryl begins laughing at the sight of his father's corpse. Daryl then visits a psychiatrist, who calls him a tortured soul, struggling with moral and emotional crises. But also, it's 1950s America, and so that's perfectly normal. He's kicked out of the office, and we return to the swamp where the critics still demand more of the ghost story. Daryl jumps ahead to 1968, the day after Robert Kennedy's assassination, when he joined Garvey's circus, and Ayla taught him to be a clown. However, it turns out that Garvey only hired him to gain access to his inheritance. Eventually, Daryl overhears Garvey complaining about him to Ayla, and his inner demon causes his act to become dark and frightening. Eventually, it's too much even for Daryl, and so he drove into the swamp to put an end to everything. The critics, unimpressed with the play, reveal themselves to be agents of heaven, hell, and the realm in between. They judge that Daryl has not shown sufficient motivation for his self-destruction, and, being neither good nor bad, and showing no potential to become either over time, they consign him to total oblivion. Richard tries to speak up on Daryl's behalf, and the Agent of Hell silences him. Just then, the Man-Thing intervenes. Apparently, the monster's empathetic powers had, over the course of the play, become in tune with Daryl's soul, and instinctively recognizes injustice in the critic's decision. The fighting is stopped when Ayla confesses her love for Daryl, a love that went unrequited and, in her eyes, was responsible for Daryl's self-destruction. She offers her own soul in place of Daryl's, so that he won't be punished yet again. As the critics disappear, the Agent of Heaven points his angelic sword at Daryl's body, and slowly, the clown's expression changes to a smile. Ugh, Steve Gerber goodness. It's... it's a weird... you know, I didn't know where this was gonna go from 
where the last issue left off. I certainly did not expect this weird, like, morality play kind of, like, like literally putting on a play in the middle of the issue. But it's it's weird and it's good. You know what it reminds me of? What's that? I've been listening to a lot of old-time radio, especially, like, the Jack Benny program. Yeah? And there's an episode where Jack is being given the key to, the, basically, the key to the city to his old hometown, Waukegan, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And they decided to do, for the later half of the episode, a flashback to Jack's childhood days in Waukegan. And okay. all the members of the cast get cast as people from the past. Um, huh. Jack is playing his father. And um, Mary plays a little girl from the neighborhood. And um, Don Wilson plays somebody and so forth. And that kind of feels, feels like me. Everybody gets drafted into like this little play. Right. And it's funny because for some of them... By Act 3, they're playing themselves. Yes. Like, the, the various people from the circus all just sort of play themselves for the third act. Which, I mean, you've been in theater. Sometimes it just works out that way. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, and the use of Man-Thing is pretty effective. Like, if you're not going to tell a Man-Thing-centric story, this is a pretty good way to do it, to sort of lean into the empathetic power. Yes. And then we have a weird fight at the end between all these spectral figures. Yeah, we've got the agent of heaven, the agent of hell, and the agent of basically purgatory. They the don't agent call it of that. heaven, played here by Aquaman. <laughs> yeah, he, he has like the long, scraggly blonde hair and the beard. You know, the, the, you and a can't, golden sword. You can't see the harpoon hand, but it's there. Yeah, well, he's even wearing well, can't tell if that's him or no, it doesn't, it doesn't appear he's wearing pants at all. I was going to say he was wearing green pants, but that's the that's the the in between guy. To let's be honest, the in between guy has the weirdest goddamn costume. He does. He does. He's got like the uh, the from the Avengers, like the Goliath, like not really a shirt because it doesn't cover his tor- the sides of his torso. Like it's a third tier supervillain costume from the nineteen seventies. Yeah, like, he looks like he's supposed to be dressed as an executioner, I guess, but, like, a really weird one. Really weird green one. Also, um, speaking of throwbacks to old-time radio, if you look at the flashback um, scene at the kitchen table, Mm -hmm. uh, the the breakfast table on page 10, um, the family is enjoying a box of Kellogg's Pep. Oh, that definitely sets the time period. Yep. Um, for those of you who um, don't know, Kellogg's Pep was the longtime sponsor of the Superman radio program. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is... Again, it's not... It uh, Honestly, of our comics for this week, this is our least action-packed comic, but I think it's also our best one. Yes. In fact, I would actually argue that of the the way the comics are arranged this episode is it's a steady progression from worst to best. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's nothing against the other creative teams, but Gerber and Plug, man, Gerber and Plug. Yes. Like even like the last panel of the story, which is the man thing disappearing into the swamp. The way it's done, the separation of the panels, the descent of Man-Thing in each of it, chef's kiss. Mm, definitely. Just, it's just, but man, the agent of the in-between is weird looking. 
he, he is the the strangest design of the whole book. Um, now, on the other hand, I still and he was their last issue too. I love the spectral clown, like the ghost clown. That's a great design. Oh yeah, he is creepy and sympathetic at the same time. It is yeah. just so good. Yeah. Um, I only thing that's missing is I, I wanted, and I think this, the comic makes you want more comeuppance for the the circus owner for exploiting Daryl so much and like taking his money and like like sort of scheming behind his back and all that like like you want something to come out of that for the other characters like and you get the you get the, you get the feeling that it's actually all a mistake yeah because a misunderstanding of some sort a misunderstanding he heard the wrong part right and so he decides he's going to kill himself basically right like he, he like he left before he heard the part where she said no i'm not going to like stop being nice to him or whatever yeah, I'm not gonna help you. I'm not. I'm not gonna help you bleed him dry anymore because I actually love him. Right. Um, so. And I guess that's sort of that. That's the part of the story that's the tragedy is that like all of this goes unspoken and unrequited and then a little too late. Yes. But damn, it's good. Yeah. Just, just really good stuff. And again, it's you know it's why we're always happy to read Steve Gerber. Definitely. Definitely. And and I. I still can't think of anyone I'd rather have drawing the Man-Thing book than Plug. True. And just... Um, it's a weird, weird issue. <laughs> I just enjoy it so much. Yep. Yep. That, that's, I'm always happy when it's uh, the week for, for Man-Thing. Yep. And, I don't know. Uh, it, doesn't, it does literally nothing to set up for the next issue, so I have no idea what's coming next. No. And even if it did set up for the next issue, it's Gerber, so... <laughs> he could address whatever that is in one panel and move on to something else. He has done that before. He has. Or he's completely gone off left field with it. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, we were not expecting a little morality play for this issue. Not at all. I certainly did not expect Agents of Heaven, Hell, and the Realm in Between. Yeah, which... Ugh, it's just... It's what makes Gerber's man thing just so constantly delightful to come back to because you're never really aware of what you're going to get to next on it. Also, I would just like to throw out there that uh, the agent of hell is a more interesting looking demon than anything that we've gotten in Ghost Rider or Son of Satan. Yes. Yes, he is. And that's even with Mike Blue <laughs> drawing Ghost Rider. Yeah. No, don't get me wrong. Like the early Ghost Rider stuff with like the, the, like, 70s heavy metal cover, like, depictions of hell were, were fun. But, like, but th this is just a really cool demon design. Yep. Like, with the horns that curl around his ears and the sort of ape-like face and, like, can't quite tell if he's scaly or furry or somehow both. Ew. I can't figure out if furries or scalies are worse. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I do think that might actually do it for another episode of Tomb of Ideas. I think you're right. Um, three issues, but we, we got through them pretty uh, pretty efficiently this time. Pretty efficiently. Uh, we don't have any feedback for this episode, but oh. if you want to reach out to us, you can, of course, reach us at our email address, tombofideas at 
gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Tomb of Ideas, and our Facebook is facebook.com slash Tomb of Ideas. And of course, you can find our entire back catalog wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like. But also, our home base, as it were, is Cinepunks.com, because we're proud members of the Cinepunks podcast group. And also on Cinepunks.com, you'll find other great shows like Black Sun Dispatches, Cinema Smorgasbord, uh, Horror Business, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe, and lots of other things, in addition to great articles and, and written pieces. So check out Cinepunks.com and, and, and see what's there, because there's a lot of really great stuff running the gamut of various media and genres. That's right. Well, Trey, that is our first episode of 2021 in the bag. It is. Now, where are we going? Where are we starting for uh, July of 1974? We are actually going to be talking about... Uh... Man-Wolf! Because yes. we are talking about Creatures on the Loose, number 30. And while we're keeping it hairy, let's go ahead and talk about Werewolf by Night, number 19, as well. Sounds good. So, you know, you might want to bring one of those little rolly, sticky, rolly things with you when you tune into ah. the next episode. Because oh, yeah, well, it is. Fur. Yeah, it's. it's, it's um, speaking of furries. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Anyway, I gotta go back to doing my reps. Ugh, oh yeah, these guns. You're going. Um, so I think I'm gonna, you know, do a little bit of a upgrade and bench press some of these long boxes. Oh yeah. Is there anything in those boxes? Shut up. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye bye. Thirty-seven, thirty-eight, forty-two, fifty. Oh yeah, feel the burn. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Members, Excelsior! <laughs>